Welcome to the Checker to Green podcast with your hosts, David Marty and Elliot Tardiff. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for episode three of the From Checkered to Green podcast. I am Elliot Tardiff, and these other two fine gentlemen are David Motti and Ryan Kolpak. David, welcome. Good evening. How are you? Good evening, Elliot and Ryan. I'm doing very well. Nice, cool evening up here in Syracuse, New York. Glad we're getting back to green. Title of our episode with racing. Looking forward for a good episode tonight. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. The uh, weather is favorable here in Buffalo as well. Nice, clear evening, cool, slight breeze. Won't hear me complain. I know better. We've waited long enough for it. <laughs> yeah, we've been enjoying some, uh, some nice weather down here too. Really cool for this time of year and very wet as well. We've had a little bit of a dry spell here the last day or two while um, our coastal regions have been soaked pretty good. But we're actually going to get back to the the cloudy, cool, and wet weather this coming week. And indeed, the weather has has been a part of the story, not only for uh, North Carolina in general, but for uh, for racing as well. Um, and we'll get into that here in a in a minute. But yeah, definitely enjoying some uh, some cooler weather than normal here. Hoping we can dry out maybe a little bit, not too much, but a little would be nice. Oh, good to hear. With that said, we have a great episode today. Like we said, title Back to Green. And Elliot, why don't you tell us what's what's going to be on our episode tonight? Well, for the first time in a long time, racing is getting back to some semblance of a normal schedule, even if it's without fans for the most part. And so we've got a lot to delve into from the world of racing here in recent weeks. Lots going on in NASCAR, lots going on in in IndyCar, World of Outlaws as well. We're going to have our spotlight segment this week on uh, the controversy with Ace Speedway, which is a short track here in central North Carolina, and their interest in having races with fans, and not only lots of fans and how well that is going over with the state of North Carolina and uh, their Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, additionally, we're going to update uh, how things are going with uh, some of the tracks up in uh, the Empire State up in New York. And then uh, we're going to go green again. We're going to talk about what's happening uh, going forward and some other news that might portend into other news here in the coming weeks and then close out with our final thoughts. Sounds good. Definitely yep. going to be a great episode tonight. We, we appreciate all our listeners listening. Thank you to everyone who's downloaded our episodes on podcast.com. We appreciate, and you, we also have a great Facebook page you can go to. And we always are looking for your feedback. So tonight's episode, as Elliot mentioned, we're going to talk about getting back into racing. And we're going to start with the checkered segment. And Elliot, let's talk about some NASCAR. Let's talk about it. Uh, There have been a lot of races that have been uh, since our most recent episode. Some of them uh, with impacts uh, by the weather moved a day or two, well, moved a day at least, or at least later on into the evening. And some of them also very warm and humid. Uh, Indeed, the last couple of races here, the one in Atlanta this past Sunday, and then Martinsville on Wednesday, both very hot and humid, took their toll on drivers. Indeed, Alex Bowman said uh, after the Martinsville race on Wednesday that he 
lost a lot of weight and it's been a lot to uh, try and recover heading into this weekend's race at Homestead, Miami, which is also expected to be a warm and humid weekend. So really taxing on uh, the cup drivers. Uh, it's not going to be much better for the Xfinity guys either because they run a double header this weekend. They've got a race on Saturday and then they've got another one on Sunday. So uh, they're, they're going to be pushing themselves to the limit as well. If I counted right, about seven races uh, since uh, they have come back from COVID-induced hiatus, starting with Darlington, going through, well, a couple of races in, uh, in Darlington, and then the 600 in Charlotte, a 500K in Charlotte that Wednesday, Bristol that following weekend, a week break into Atlanta, and then Martinsville this past Wednesday night. First time uh, so, under the lights for them in Martinsville. Yes. And there's something really, really magical about Martinsville under the lights. I will say that. I got to tell you this. I, I'm not sure if you knew this, but the company that did the lighting for that for Martinsville is called Epfis Lighting. And they're actually located in Syracuse, New York. Well, then they did themselves proud and they did Syracuse proud because oh, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful setup they got there. So good on them. So there's a, been a few really big storylines um, just just from on-track events that have happened uh, since we've gone back racing. The first is Hendrick Motorsports is for real. Jimmy Johnson, he's back. Cliff Daniels, uh, his, his crew chief, uh, returning for a second year, has done great things for him. And he's running up front, and he's a threat to win every week. Had he not crashed off the, the left rear bumper of Chris Busher at the end of segment one of the Darlington race, he very well could have won there because he had a really fast car. Chase Elliott, during these past seven races, could have won the 600 as well, was running away with that, but for late caution and getting foiled on pit strategy. Alex Bowman has had some solid runs, and William Byron, has not done bad either. I think he's been up in the, the top 10 uh, at least a few times. Kevin Harvick, he's bringing the noise for Stuart Haas Racing um, with, uh, I believe, at least two wins um, thus far in the, um, in the season. Uh, he won at Atlanta. Actually, yeah, uh, won at Atlanta, and then he won uh, the return to racing at Darlington on May 17th. Um, so he's doing really well. Uh, Clint Boyer and Al, uh, Eric Almarola, uh, two other drivers at Stuart Haas, uh, they've shown good speed. Um, and it's shown in some, some good finishes. And in Clint Boyer's case, some really good luck, especially at Bristol. Um, and quite frankly, that's the only good luck he's really had to this point. He's, he's um, had some fast cars, but has, uh, has had seen those uh, good runs go by the wayside late on at least a couple of occasions. Um, and then uh, Cole Custer in the 41 car, the rookie, he's still trying to find his way. So um, uh, Kevin, Kevin Harvick for right now is the one who is carrying the flag for Stuart Haas, and he's doing a very good job of it right now. Another Ford team, Penske Racing, is running wild. Um, Brad Keselowski, uh, he kind of stole a win in the, uh, the 600 at Charlotte, um, but he's been a strong, strong um, racer this year. Um, also winning at Bristol uh, when Chase Elliott uh, decided to um, take a page out of Brad, Brad Keselowski's playbook and say, I'm going to go for the win and 
damned be the consequences and uh, had a spirited fight with Joey Logano late in, in that race at Bristol for the win. They both ended up crashing out um, and Keselowski slid by with uh, Boyer right behind him to come to the checkers one, two. In addition to that, uh, Logano already showing two wins on the season, both of those coming before the COVID induced hiatus. So Penske racing in a really good place. Ryan Blaney's also showing some great speed um, may have had a shot at winning uh, on Wednesday at Martinsville, but for some, uh, some bad luck. Um, and then Matt Benedetto, uh, the Wood Brothers car, um, kind of uh, a satellite team of, uh, of Penske Racing now, is also showing some good speed. It's had some good finishes, some top tens. Um, so they're, they're on their way to doing some good stuff as well. Um, and then finally, Matt Kenseth. Um, Matt Kenseth returning to the, um, to the field thus far this year. Um, and showing some workmanlike finishes. He started with a top 10, finishing 10th at Darlington. Um, but since then, uh, having some issues. Uh, he uh, cut a tire down late in the, uh, the Wednesday night Darlington race there. Um, and then just a, a series of really workmanlike finishes, um, especially uh, Bristol and Atlanta finishing 16th and 15th, respectively. Um, all of these numbers, courtesy of racingreference.info, by the way. Um, so a celebrated return and a good finish initially. Um, but uh, here, uh, ever since, uh, it's been uh, a little bit of a, a tough road for him uh, to, uh, to, get back into, um, uh, to get back into competition. Um, so those are uh, some of the big storylines, uh, on-track storylines to have come from uh, the, uh, uh, these, these seven races here since uh, May 17th. Uh, when we went back racing at uh, at Darlington. So, uh, Dave, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's definitely good. And you were talking about the – a couple points. You were talking about the heat. And I was I listened to the Dale Jr. download and his podcast this week. And that um, – he talked about the heat. And he talked about a couple times on how he felt and, you know, what happened with, like, Bubba Wallace, Atlanta, and – quite a few of the drivers and is it is tough especially in those cars they you know they they have options to keep the suits cool the helmets cool but the issue is is that the drivers don't want to turn them on because it drains the battery so they definitely got to um you know, hydration, and then if you have an issue with your water system, you know, they have bottles of water, mm-hmm. and if you if you keep going green, you don't have, I mean, you don't get a break to do that. It's not like IndyCar or Formula One where they actually have their water system hooked up into their helmet and a button that pushes it, mm-hmm. and they can get a drink during the race, but that I mean, that is going to be interesting, especially this weekend in Miami, and yep. it's supposed to be really hot down there. So we'll we'll see what happens, and you know, maybe from a, a standpoint, maybe Na- this might raise a red flag to NASCAR, and they may have to think of um, the drive. They gotta start thinking of the driver safety. If you remember in in the it was like early 2000s or the 90s, Earnhardt at Darlington yep. hitting the wall and then going to the hospital. 
Uh, that was in 1997, I think it was. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and I uh, think that was the 500. That was the Southern 500. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And yeah, yeah, you had some sort of unexplained uh, medical episode. And, and yeah. even then, it took him two or three laps to get off of the track and actually get on the pit road. So that was a very scary thing. Um, but you make a really good point, Dave. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, another thing that, um, like, especially in the case of Martinsville, um, where batteries and alternators are, are being really heavily taxed anyway, um, and then you throw the heat and humidity into it. And then, um, you know, in Austin Dillon's case, when he cut a tire down, it also um, impacted the crush panels um, and mm -hmm. compromised the crush panels ability to seal off the cockpit from fumes and from um, some really hot air from getting into the car. And indeed, he had to get out of the car um, with a shade under 100 laps left um, because he was simply exhausted and he said, I have to get out of the car. Um, now, they weren't running that well anyway. They were a couple laps down because of said tire issues uh, that happened early in the race. Richard Childress, the car owner, also Austin Dillon's grandfather, said, um, you know, don't push yourself too hard um, and put yourself in a position where you can be, um, uh, you know, where you can hurt yourself. Um, so, uh, so that was another situation there. Um, and then, yeah, you bring, bring up Atlanta, um, you know, Bubba Wallace, um, most notably, uh, having some, uh, some issues, uh, after the race, uh, how much of those were, were physical and how much of those were, um, emotional because of, um, uh, events that were occurring, um, in and out of the, uh, the racetrack, uh, that we'll touch on a little bit later on. Um, that was, that was also, um, quite scary. And there were a lot of people that were very, uh, worried about him, but he turned around, um, you know, on two or three days rest and put in a, uh, a very good finish at Martinsville, um, overcoming a broken chain on the left rear wheel, um, which, uh, when you go and have, uh, pit stops, um, what, what these chains do is they help to pick up the, uh, uh, either the wheel or the axle faster um, than otherwise when you're going to jack the car up. Uh, it, it takes fewer jacks um, to pull the, the tire up off the ground so it can be changed. Um, and while it's um, uh, not a common uh, problem that has happened, um, it, it does happen occasionally. Um, and it happened to Bubba um, in Martinsville on Wednesday. Um, but yet he still um, had great speed um, throughout the race and was even even fighting with Jimmy Johnson for the 10th position at the checkered flag, um, mm -hmm. which he was very excited about. But um, yeah, you talk about, um, you know, the heat, humidity, uh, driver safety, um, and, you know, how do you improve that uh, going forward? Um, you know, there's only so much um, electrical load that um, the, uh, the cars and the, the electrical systems uh, can sustain for the duration of a race. Um, and so you wonder, okay, um, you know, what can be done, um, but done in a way that's, that's safe. Um, you know, you don't want to put too, too many batteries into a race car. Um, I'm sure Robbie Gordon would attest to that after his misfortune at, at Watkins Glen years ago. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, yeah, you know, what, 
what can be um, and you know as we've also heard uh, you know other individual race teams might have a better answer for that uh, than other teams do definitely so with that said we also got besides NASCAR going on we also have IndyCar going on right now so Elliot should we talk a little about IndyCar yes let's talk about it all right you and I both watched that race and NASCAR or sorry IndyCar actually made a decision last week Saturday June 6th that the IndyCar season got underway and they started at um, they started at Texas it was the Genesis 300. It was a night race. It was on NBC. And we'll talk a little bit about the ratings in a moment about that. But I want to go through the results. Uh, Scott Dixon won it, dominated the race. He had, he, he dominated. He's, yeah. um, Simon. Like nobody had, could touch him. All oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. Except Rosenquist, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Yep. Um, Simon Paginal was, was second, Joseph Newgarden third, Zach Feach was fourth, Ed Carpenter was fifth, Connor Daly, your highest mover, 13 positions, was um, sixth, Colton Herr seventh, Ryan Hunter Ray eighth, Alvar Askew, the highest rookie, was ninth, and then tenth was Tony Kanan in his final season. Other notables, Marco Andre was 14th, Alexander Rossi was 15th, uh, Graham Rahal 17th, James Hinchcliffe was uh, um, 18th. He's actually running a limited schedule with Andre um, this year. And then uh, Felix Rosenquist was 20th. And then Takuma Sato, Elliot, the drama that happened – IndyCar decided to go to this one-day format. So everyone arrives that morning. The, 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 the crews fly in that morning. They practice, qualified, did the race. Uh, and, and they, in practice, um, Renus VK, who came from Indy Lights, he, he was a runner-up in Indy Lights last year. He crashed. And then in qualifying, Takuma Sato crashed. And yep. it was drama right up to the beginning. They were in the garage trying to get it start, and they actually had up until the green flag. And yep. the, the damage was just too much. He couldn't start. But Ryan hunter and Alexander Rossi both had issues, and they got penalties. They actually got unapproved changes for the – computer system or the battery or it was something and they had to go to the rear and get a drive-through and then Graham Rahal had issues he yep. um he yeah, had, pretty much pretty much all of the the Andretti um had electrical issues right at the very start of the race when, when they went to start the engines mm-hmm. um and those three cars would not start and yeah so yeah they had to if I remember right they had to reset the um uh, electrical systems in all of those cars and in I believe it was in Graham Rahal's case he missed I think the first two or three laps of the race um, while they were trying to get that fixed most um, certainly so yeah and then you know you had uh, the um, uh, drive-throughs and so it's just a really so, rough night um, it, for it, 
it was. It, I mean, Dixon was good. I mean, it, it was was dominant. So was uh, Felix Rehnquist, and yep. they actually. I mean, that was going to be a good nasty shootout, but they put mm-hmm. the traction control down in one and two and three and four, yep. and no one was touching it. And in that Rosenquist accident, if you took a look at it, um, they they were going around Hinchcliffe. And Hinchcliffe held low, and all night when Rosenquist was passing cars, he didn't go out in there. He wouldn't try it. He'd get back in, set them up, go by on the back or the front stretch. And Marco Andre did, and I think at that moment, and it sounded like with Rosenquist, he just turned. He, he just said, "All right, I'm going for it. It's near the end." And it, it, he knew it was his mistake. And you know he he took blame for it, so it wasn't you know it wasn't too bad, but you know it was his day ended, but you know it was just a it was just a racing accident, you know no touching, it was just he got he broke loose, but um, Renus VK I, I I feel bad for him, rookie yep. signed with Ed Carpenter Racing, he's driving the 21 for Oval Races. Ed Carpenter's car for the the road courses, the 20, and he wrecked in practice. And then about forty about forty seven laps after his practice crash, he ended up um, crashing as well. And he took a he he had a wreck and um, he just got up in the marbles, got loose, and. Um, Hello, who's coming out? Um, Alex Pelot is a rookie this year, and he just um, he was coming out of the pits, and you know he was thinking VK was gonna go back up on spinning, and they clipped, and that was it for their day. And it it was interesting because Elliot, you and I were talking about this during the race, and you know you kind of, you know we we're kind of wondering, well, you wrecked two cars in one race, you're a rookie. Does that going to um, happen? And you know, you know, what does it say about your career? You know, most drivers, when you wreck cars, you may not last long. Well, Ed Carpenter's car owner said this, and this was on Racer.com, and this was reported by, um, I believe, Marshall Pruitt wrote it on Racer.com. But he said this after the race, and he said. Everything I told Renus to do, he didn't really do, which was being patient, be careful. Best thing I told him before the race was to stay out of the marbles. We got a little, a little work to do there on the sponginess of him, but he can, he can drive the car. He was going forward with virtually no practice and having never ran an oval IndyCar race. He's going to get there but it's going to be challenging. We still love him. And, and, and I think that's true. I don't, I don't think it would be the end of VK. I think Carper's going to use this year to get him going, see how he does. And, and you got to remember, Tony Kanan's retiring at the end of the year. So if VK shows promise, there's, a, there's potential he could jump over to AJ Foyt. Foyt wants to get those young, talented drivers. I mean, that's how he got Sato. And he had, in the 90s, he had Kenny Brecky won the Indy 500 with that. 
with him. So I, I just, I, I think it'll be a learning curve for VK. And then I think next year it, it's really going to count more. But the other big news about that, about that race this weekend was the viewership. As I said, NBC did something. Or they, instead of putting on NBC Sports, they put it on NBC. So it was prime time. And they're saying the network reports, according to Racer.com, network reports, the race was the series most watched IndyCar event since 2016, excluding the Indy 500. And they said they had 1.285 million viewers, which is more than the last time they got that high for a non-Indy 500 race was the duel in Detroit, which was on ABC a, couple, a few years ago, and they had 1.397 million viewers. Um, they, they said it surpassed last year's Road America race, which was 1.11 million or 1.11 million. And then, and then it, you know, you you exclude the Indy 500 because the Indy 500 is going to be the most watched. But then they said it was the most watched IndyCar season opener since 2016 at St. Pete's, which they aired on ABC, with 1.391 million viewers. And it the most markets it was was Indianapolis was the biggest market. It had ratings. Then Orlando, Daytona, Columbus, Salt Lake, Denver, West Palm Beach, and Dallas-Fort Worth were the were the top markets to watch that race in. And then finally, um, this this was just recent news that broke probably a couple days ago. And I do um, uh, Tony Stewart. We we mentioned in our first episode about Tony doing the double. I I don't know if you remember you guys talking about this. You remember this? Yes, I do. Yep. Well, way the way changes have gone with COVID and the way the the schedules have been. We had a um, Tony Stewart came out and said it is not possible to do the double header at Indy on July 4th, do the Xfinity race and the IndyCar race. And it, it, so he backed out from that. Um, it's just, he said, it's not possible with the way the cup races are, the mile races in June, where he's got to be with his teams. He says, it's just, it's just very difficult right now. So probably down the road, we'll see it happen. And I think I think it's eventually going to happen down the road, but we'll see what happens. So a little sad news about that. Um, and and some people were like, "Well, was it because of the no fans there?" And it's not that; it's more logistical for him. I think he would run it if if there were no fans. So I I don't think that was an issue. Um, I do have one more thing, and I think we'll bring this up in our green segment, Elliot. We can talk about a little bit more about the Indy 500. Yes. So with that said, your guys' thoughts before we talk about the World of Outlaws for a few minutes? Um, well, first getting back to Texas, um, you know, it was really good to see um, the IndyCar series get some primetime exposure. Um, you know, it's really good for them. They're still uh, very much on the um, 
you know, from, from where they've been. Uh, it was a little bit of a bummer that uh, the race was not, um, you know, as, as uh, exciting in terms of passes and things and lead changes um, as, uh, you know, as, as, you know, as other tracks have been, um, you know, indeed, you know, it was a, a lot of one groove racing all evening, um, which, you know, you talked about uh, Connor Daly finishing, I believe it was sixth or seventh um, after having moved up so many spots uh, during the race. You know, that was really impressive. It was very difficult uh, to pass anybody during this race. And you had to uh, time your runs right. And you, you know, uh, had to uh, either get clear of somebody or uh, especially if you were trying to make moves on the outside, which some people did to some, to uh, some success um, or be far enough up inside of them, uh, especially going into turn one that they had to give you the, the lane and yeah. give you a spot. They ju- you just couldn't. I mean, that, the, I mean, the traction works great for NASCAR, but yeah. it does not work good for IndyCar. And that was, I mean, no one dared to do it. And anyone who did, I mean, that's what happened to Sato almost, was he just got a little bit and he crashed. Yep. And so it's... Um, and then same thing with VK twice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was... He, he, it and uh, yeah, he just got up in the in the PJ one there in turn two, and uh, that was the end of his night. It was a shame though that uh, Rosenquist didn't uh, um, didn't get to see his. I mean, he had a really good run. He had a really great drive. Car was really fast, um, and he was, I believe, either second or third um, coming down into the the home stretch. Um, and yeah, had some uh, misfortune getting around lap cars and uh, ended his night in the fence, um, but. That's a fast car. That's a fast driver. Uh, that'll be somebody to that's watch a, very closely. That's um, a fast team. That that's going to be the team to beat this year. When you have Dario Franchitti, you know, uh, a arguably a goat um, in mm-hmm. IndyCar in your corner, that speaks well to your your fortunes. So absolutely. And and, and you know you know in a. Next year, it's either Andre's going to add on as a consultant, or he's going to go Ganassi as a consultant, and 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 that's the one other thing. I mean, you mentioned about Frankiti. I mean, these really goats, these drivers. You're right. These goats, as we would say, these greatest drivers. You have to look at um, like what Mears did. He's with Penske now. It, it, it's just as a consultant, it's it's amazing. So, I mean that that was really good. I think Ganassi's going to be beat. Send, um, we got to see how Penske re- reacts. Remember, now that Roger Penske owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in IndyCar, he had a COI conflict of interest with owning his IndyCar team, and he turned those reins over to. I believe it was Tim Sendrick he turned him over to. Yep. So with that said, um, Elliot? Let's, do you want to talk uh, Indy 500 here real quick? There was, um, you know, a pretty bold uh, proclamation made, um, you know, in uh, uh, IndyCar in general this year, uh, especially under uh, Roger Penske. There's, you know, been no shortage of those. 
um, but a pretty bold proclamation made about the, the 500. Um, so, well, Dave, do you want to get into that? Uh, well, why don't we save that for the green segment? I like it. Okay. Why don't we um, do that and go into some World of Outlaws? Yep. Uh, and, let's, uh, let's, let's sling some dirt around, huh? Yeah, most certainly. Yep. So, um, the dirt slinging was back. Elliot, I've got the points and some results here. Uh, yep. Why talk about what Larson did? Yep. So uh, Kyle Larson, uh, as, as uh, our viewers know, our listeners know, um, had a, um, a pretty stunning and um, self-inflicted fall from grace um, in, the, in the racing community and in particular NASCAR uh, this spring uh, during the, uh, the COVID hiatus. Um, and so while his, his, uh, his future in NASCAR uh, being, there's nothing uh, apparent on the horizon for him right now. Um, he is still involved in, um, in the world of outlaws. He owns a, a team there. Um, he completed the, um, the required sensitivity training um, that the world of outlaws series asked, of, <clears throat> excuse me, asked of him. He did that very quickly. Um, and so when they started racing again, he was on the track um, and he was there um, competing and doing very, very well. Uh, in fact, he has racked up three wins to this point um, and looks like he's, he's going to be one of the main people to beat uh, throughout this coming year and will be one of the main t uh, threats for the title. Um, and I, if I also remember right, I think he's said at least – one uh track record um to this point as well really so, yep um yeah there was a uh it's a little little boring um i forget which one exactly but um he sat on the pole with a, a lap time under 10 seconds um, wow and i believe it was a um it was a track record that car was flying um so yep um so larson <laughs> Uh, you know, seeking redemption um, in the, the dirt ranks and thus far um, is on his way. Well, I, I mean, that, that's amazing. And it's, you know, it, you know, it, it's good. He's trying to get back his career. Um, he, he knows the NASCAR portion's done. I mean, he made, he made his faults and to get back in there, he, I mean, he won the Chili Bowl. He loves sprint car racing. And I, I think that's where you know he's eventually going to end up. You knew eventually he would end up. I mean, look at Stewart. When he retired, he went into sprint car racing. Um, he owns a couple series. He owns a, a great team. So a lot of these people with the, the, the dirt racing backgrounds, they may leave like Rico, Rico Abreu did to do the trucks, but they come back. And, and it's just because what dirt racing is. I mean, these bull rings, day in, day out, amazing things. So glad to, glad to hear he's getting back on his feet. So how about some point standings updates and, and race updates with the outlaws? Sounds good, Dave. What you got? All right, so we got a very tight battle in the World of Outlaws, the NASA Energy World of Outlaws, and the Giant Gibson. I'm going to quote Giant Gibson here, the greatest show on dirt. 
Um, <laughs> I, I wish we could get him on because I'd love to have him do our intro someday. <laughs> oh, one day. <laughs> um, so, Brad Sweet going for back-to-back championships. Uh, for the longest time, John, Donnie Schott, one of Tony Stewart's drivers, has been dominating. He's He's kind of been the guy who took after Steve Kinzer's domination. Um, now Brad Sweet, and it, I believe Sweet's driving for Kane. Am I right? That is correct. Yeah. So Casey Kane's driver, Brad Sweet, leading the points with 1442. Die shots 28 behind. Um, Logan Schuhart, 36 behind. Then Shane Stewart in fourth, 106 behind. Um, Darren Pittman is fifth. Shelton Hoddenchild, Jack Honchild's son, is sixth. Carson Macedo is seventh. David Gravel, who drives the, um, the late Jason Johnson entry um, for that racing team, um, who won Knoxville Nationals last year in an emotional victory, uh, is eighth. Parker Price Miller is ninth, and Kerry Madsen is tenth. Uh, so I'm racing the the World of Outlaws sprint car races after they were done with um, uh, Volusia. Um, they went hiatus because of COVID. They started off at one of the greatest tracks, Knoxville Raceway, on May eighth. David Gravel winning the return back to the Outlaws had to be emotional since his Last when there was the Knoxville Nationals, Brad Sweet uh, won at I-55 the first night. Then Kyle Larson won the second night. Then they did a back-to-back at Lake Ozark. Uh, Logan Schuhart and Donnie Schatz won those. And then Brad Sweet took the sweep at Beaver Dam. And tonight they're back at Knoxville in the Brownells Big Gun Bash. And if you're... Um, ever want catchies if you ever sign up for dirt vision um, it's paid to watch the races but eventually they put them on for fault or on their vault it's free to sign up you can watch those races anytime and those are great events they show you everything and if you ever if you haven't seen Knoxville I suggest doing a Google search or doing a YouTube search Search Knoxville Nationals, and there is some great racing there. So that that's the World of Outlaws sprint cars. The World of Outlaw, the late models, the Morton building, the Morton Buildings late models are back underway, and they're racing the top um, ten in points. Brandon Shepard uh, leads. Ricky Weiss is second, seventy-four behind. That's 176 points behind, um, behind the leader is Daryl Langan. Chris Madden is fourth. Chase Jughands is, is fifth. Cade Dillard is sixth. Dennis Erb Jr. is seventh. Scott Bloomquist, uh, he's, he's you may have heard of him. He's a famous late model driver. He's eighth. Ashton Wagner, a rookie ninth, and Matt Kosner is tenth. And then they went back to action. The last race they ran before COVID was March 7th at uh, Smoky Mountain Speedway in Tennessee. 
And they returned May 22nd and 23rd at the Jackson Motorplex. And it was uh, Ricky Weiss and Ricky Thorne Jr. winning those races. Then a doubleheader in Davenport, Iowa at Davenport Speedway. Brandon Shepard with the sweep. And the next race in action for those guys is Volunteer Speedway in Bulls Gap, Tennessee, June 19th, 20th. And then two shows in Lernerville Speedway in Sarver, PA, June 25th and the 26th. And that actually 25th, 26th, and 27th. So a triple header. And then for the World of Outlaws, the rest of June, then they go to Tri-State Speedway in Hobbitstadt, Indiana. Then Jackson Motorsports Complex, 25th, 26th, 27th for a triple header. So that's where we stand. And Elliot, really quick, um, what about the BC39? Uh, so the B- BC39, uh, the Brian Clausen 39, um, which is a um, quickly becoming a celebrated dirt race um, that they hold on the grounds of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, they built a permanent dirt track um, on the speedway it, grounds inside of turn three. It, I've seen that. When I went to Indy last year, that is a cool dirt track, seeing that from the grandstands. Is it? Yeah, it's it's banked. Nice. Nice. But, um, yeah, so uh, unfortunately, though, this year, uh, because of uh, all the schedule shufflings and, and um, all of the uncertainty with, um, with COVID and, um, uh, you know, the impacts on, on racing schedules and things, um, unfortunately, the, the BC39 was canceled for this year. Um, that was another race, I believe, that Tony Stewart was uh, thinking about running. Um, but uh, for, for him and for everybody else that was um, uh, planning on uh, being there, uh, racing, um, or even hoping to watch it, um, unfortunately, it won't happen this year. So that is a Yeah, that, that definitely is. And with that said... We'd love to talk more about NASCAR, IndyCar, Worlds of Outlaws, but we actually need to take a a, a little break here. And as Gay Lee said, as we were in um, Cleveland, uh, when Ryan Ellie and I went to the Time Machine Tour in Cleveland a few years ago to see Rush, gotta rest our old old, um, dinosaur voices. So, Ryan, take it away. From Checkered to Green podcast, we'll be right back after this brief message. The feedback that we get from all of our listeners helps drive the show and help us generate the content that you want to hear. So, if you're interested, send us a message at our Facebook page from Checkered to Green podcast to keep the conversation going and to give us feedback to what you want to see, topics you'd like discussed, and, if possible, guests you'd like to see interviewed on the show. We hope to get more information back to you as soon as we can, and we look forward to getting the conversation with you more directly on our Facebook page or at our email. And now, back to From Checker to Green podcast with David Maudie and Elliot Tardiff. Thank you, Ryan. So our spotlight for this evening um, is going to focus on um, some events that have happened here in recent days and um, 
indeed, you know, the, the past couple of weeks um, that has been kind of um, a, a, not a nexus, but a collision more um, of a lot of uh, things that have been in the news recently. Um, that is COVID-19, all of the efforts to try and contain it, uh, stay at home orders and things of that nature, um, and impacts that those orders are having on, on businesses and people trying to make a living and uh, people uh, protesting those, those stay at home orders in, in different ways. Um, and then um, how all that has been seen by, uh, by state governments and how that uh, kind of has, has tried to at least tie in with, um, with other local um, racing events. And I say all these things uh, because they have all happened and they've actually happened here uh, in North Carolina at a, um, a local short track um, that is, uh, is actually pretty well known in these parts. Uh, it's called Ace Speedway. Um, it is in uh, central North Carolina, about a short drive east of Greensboro um, and Winston-Salem, uh, and about an hour's drive west of Raleigh, um, and about probably two hours northeast of Charlotte. Um, so uh, they, um, like other tracks, uh, were shut down for uh, a prolonged period of time, um, but here in recent weeks, um, they have wanted to uh, to get get racing again and and um, to open their their gates, bring in fans, and um, you know start start making a living again, start trying to make some uh, some money. Um, and so they had um, a race a couple of week a couple of weekends ago, and I think they had about two thousand people um, at that event. Um, but it was uh, the event this uh, this past. Uh, this past weekend that featured the, uh, the cars tour, um, which uh, unto itself, the race uh, was very notable and somewhat controversial um, for some things that happened on the racetrack, which ended up finding their way into the Dale Jr. Download podcast. And we'll discuss more of those in the next segment. Um, but um, the grandstands were packed for that event. Um, and uh, there really wasn't any social distancing that was going on. There weren't any masks that, that were being worn. Um, and, you know, mind you, um, you know, the, the uh, state of North Carolina is still, still has uh, a number of different uh, types of businesses um, ordered closed for the time being um, to try to um, uh, reduce the number of, of COVID-19 cases out there. Um, and, you know, as a quick aside to that, the numbers um, here recently aren't looking good in North Carolina. Um, in fact, the, the number of new cases, the number of hospitalizations um, have been climbing upward um, and notably so um, in recent days. So uh, it's, it's a very big concern here. Um, so with all that said, um, the state of North Carolina, specifically the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, um, sent an order uh, to Ace Speedway um, and their owners to, um, to basically close up. Uh, they didn't want uh, them to be uh, running any more races uh, with, with fans in the stands uh, because it posed um, an imminent health risk. 
So um, they had a uh, court case this past, I believe it was Thursday, um, where an attorney for Ace Speedway and the state of North Carolina DHHS faced off. Um, and, you know, each side made the argument why, um, you know, why they were right. Um, and during the course of that, uh, that, that hearing, um, which was streamed live, it was available um, to, um, uh, to be seen. Um, and, uh, and I had it on in the background. Um, and the, uh, the attorney for Ace Speedway um, made some, tried to make some, some uh, interesting points. Um, and among those was that he claimed um, that the uh, NASCAR race at Charlotte Motor Speedway um, was not done in uh, a proper way or, or that if NASCAR could run um, with hundreds of people in attendance, then why couldn't a speedway run um, with full grandstands? So that was an interesting argument. Um, but issue with that argument is, and, and the uh, lawyer for DHHS pointed this out, was that it wasn't factually accurate at all. Um, in fact, NASCAR worked in close collaboration with the state of North Carolina um, to come up with a plan that would allow um, the race at Charlotte to, um, to go off um, and to be done in a way that was safe. Um, and that would greatly minimize the risk of uh, COVID-19 um, and the spread of it um, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, the first thing was there were no fans. The second thing was that there was a greatly reduced number of crew members that were allowed into the speedway and there were very strict protocols under which those crew members um, could enter and move about the speedway. There were uh, some very significant restrictions on those. Um, and at Charlotte Motor Speedway as well, there's a, um, a building off of turn one that are condominiums. People live there and uh, for some lucky residents, they have windows that look directly out over the speedway. Um, so they, um, if memory serves, they were allowed to have, um, I think, up to five guests um, per condominium, but uh, they were to remain um, in that particular unit, whichever one they were in, for the duration of the race. They were not allowed to move around. Um, so there were some, um, some very specific um, restrictions on movement and there were some very um, severe penalties for anybody that, that violated them. Um, and as we all saw, the race went off in Charlotte without a hitch. Um, it all went really well. Um, it was noted um, by some in the sport that the process in which they're getting into the racetrack, um, you know, temperature screening and, and uh, questions of that nature is actually really smooth. It's been very seamless. And so they've been very complimentary of NASCAR's efforts um, to, um, to put those plans together um, and how well they've, they've worked out thus far. So, um, so I say all that to say that um, the argument that um, 
Ace Speedway's owner, um, in my opinion at least, um, kind of fell flat in that way. Um, additionally, um, they were trying to claim that uh, there were other uh, races that were occurring um, throughout the state. And so they were singling out, uh, they being the state, were singling out a speedway um, for trying to, uh, to have a race and um, attempting to classify um, this last weekend's race as a protest, um, as a, uh, um, an expression of the, uh, the First Amendment. Um, so uh, the, um, the thing with that is, is that uh, if, um, uh, at least according to the um, uh, Raleigh News and Observer, which is uh, the local newspaper here in, um, in Central North Carolina and, and uh, the greater Raleigh-Durham area. Um, so they, um, they noted that uh, there's other um, tracks that are, that are attempting to, um, to operate um, and, um, you know, while there's, um, there's one that may have, um, spectators in attendance, um, there's another, um, Hickory Speedway specifically, um, that will have a race, but they won't have, uh, fans. So. Dan, like also you and I were talking about Bowman Gray and didn't Bowman Gray say, we we would have fans, but if we can't, we don't race. So I mean, it's you're you're right, and, and not not throw you off, but I, I know you were mentioning about tracks in North Carolina. I remember us, you and I had a conversation about that. Yep, um, and yeah, Bowman Gray to this point, uh, they have not run any races yet. Um, in fact, you look on their website right now. Um, they say, um, you know, their season begins soon, uh, but the exact date has yet to be determined because of COVID-19 restrictions. Um, so they're telling everybody to, to stay tuned right now. I just, I mean, I, I listened to the Dale Jr. download as well. And, and right now it's, you know, you get people pro, you get people who, who figure, uh, you know, it's not, you know, this isn't bad or this, oh, this is a, this is a serious situation. If, if they had, you know, if they didn't take necessary precautions and, and the cases go up and they trace them to that, you know, they're from a, I mean, they could end up being a whole heap load of trouble for it. That is a, a very distinct possibility, yes. Um, and so there is, um, there is that concern. Um, on the other side is, um, you know, they're not able to, um, to run races and uh, to make money. And indeed, this is true, you know, not just for them, but um, a lot of other racetracks across the country. Um, well, yeah. and well, certainly. Yeah. Because you, I mean, you look at you look at a small racetrack, you look at these local tracks, and what has you know, how do they make their money? Well, it's the concessions, it's the fans, it's the pit entry. I mean, at the end, they have to pay drivers out. Yep, they have to pay and, purses. Yep. yep, pay drivers, pay your staff, yep. and if. And you, you look at a lot of these tracks and 
they're going to be in 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 red or they they're they're not going to be in in the green they they risk mm-hmm. being in the red and and you could see a lot of tracks be um financially strapped which could hurt their season now the whole thing or they with, may just go out of business yeah yeah oh, oh yeah and you lose yeah. a lot of tracks now granted dirt racing if you look at a lot of the dirt tracks the the they're a lot of the dirt tracks kind of all work together. So they're always there. But these asphalt tracks, you you don't have sister sister tracks like dirt like dirt does. Right. Um, that in these asphalt tracks, they're single owners. They're, they're trying. So like, like the move from Bowman Gray, I think that's good. I mean, I, I think that decision – they're waiting to see what happens. In worst case scenario, they turn around and say, "Hey, we—it's just not going to be feasible for us to have a season." And and you know what? Hey, all you drivers who are looking at a race there, guess what? You, your cars will be prepped for next year, and you saved yourself some money on it this year by not having to buy tires, gas. Um, your car gets destroyed. You have to spend money to rebuild it. You you blow an engine. You have to rebuild it. So, kind of you know you kind of save there. But I mean, now you look at Speedway taking them to court. You know, fighting this in court. Well, now you gotta pay your legal fee. Right. So I I would I and I. Like I said, I listened to the Dale Jr. podcast, and I, I could tell, and correct me if, I was, you know, if I'm wrong, Elliot, but he, uh, Dale Jr. wasn't in favor of it either, uh, of what Ace did. And um, you got to be, I mean, you, you got to be careful with that. And then the other thing a lot of tracks are doing and um, this is happening with a bunch of the dirt tracks up in the Northeast um, up in New York state where they can't get fans. They're telling people, Hey, we're going to have racing, but if you want to watch it, we have a website. We have a pay-per-view website, 12 bucks, 15 bucks, 10 bucks, you know, price of the ticket, and you can watch the racing that night from the comfort of your home. Oh, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, I mean, you think about these pay-per-views like Speed um, – was it Speed – I think Speed 51 has a has a pay-per-view thing. Yep. Um, Dirt Vision does. So uh, the Dirt Series. So, you know, I, I understand – Everyone's itching to get back racing at, at you know, East Speedway saying, oh, this is a peaceful protest. Yeah, okay. You could have you could have gotten some money and said, hey, we're going to have races. I'm sorry we can't get you fans out here, but you know what? Here's a website, 10 bucks, and you can get, you know, you can pay, you know, 10 Twenty dollars for a you know, you know ten or, or five a race or ten for a series of races until we get the fans back and make some money that way. But I, I, I hate 
I, I, I hate to say it, but it, it, there's a point where, um, you know, the lines of politics and and common sense as is starting to mix. And from a racing standpoint, the local tracks, at this point, you've got to have common sense. Yep. I mean, if, if you go bankrupt and you can't run anymore and no one's going to buy your track, it's, you know, yeah. I, no, I've seen a, a lot of one side tracks of- go down. Yeah, and that's one side of the that's those are great points, Dave, and and that's one side of the equation. Um, you know, if if um, you know, because all these race weekends that these race tracks are losing, they're probably not going to get them back. They're probably not going to get that revenue back. So, how much um, you know do some of these tracks, you know, have in reserve? How much cash do they have in the tank um, to be able to? kind of see themselves through these times or as you pointed out how creative can some tracks be to get um to get cars on the track to still get eyeballs to watch even if they are not physically at the racetrack um so that they can have an event and people can come out and race and be able to have um a season a championship in some form or fashion um while still doing so in a safe way by everybody. Um, so that's, those are, are, are kind of lines that I think everybody is, is uh, trying to figure out, or at the very least, people are trying to see where those lines are, right? Um, in, uh, in terms of enforcement actions and legal actions by uh, state governments. And uh, a Speedway, they, they, you know, did what they did and, uh, you know, now uh, these are the consequences. And by the way, um, to put a period on that, that court hearing I was mentioning before, the judge ruled in favor of the state. Um, the judge agreed that, yes, there is an imminent um, public health risk of having all these people um, congregating in, you know, close proximity to, to each other at a speedway during, um, uh, during their races. Um, so, the he upheld the order that uh, a speedway can you know they can still race but they can't have any more than 25 fans in in attendance um i've heard uh you know some reports saying that you know they ordered a speedway closed or or what have you but so i'm not entirely sure as to what the wording of the the actual um judgment was but either way um a speedway turned right around um after that ruling came out and said listen, our upcoming race for this weekend is canceled um, and our race on June 19th is canceled. So, um, so that is where, where they are. Well, that, uh, and, and, you know, everyone's going to say, oh, they canceled because they're in protests. They're, they're upset about that decision. I, I mean, coming from a business standpoint, I can tell you why they canceled those more than likely. And it's because, of probably how much they have to pay the lawyer, which probably ate up all their revenue that they got from that. Potentially. And then there's also the future risks of, okay, say we have a a race in defiance of that order anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, then you run into some real, um, 
legal issues. Some real, yeah, some, uh, um, you know, uh, much more significant uh, issues than what they have now. Um, you know, could there be uh, criminal concerns at that point? Um, could there be a case like we talked about before where, you know, heaven forbid somebody gets sick, um, you know, or, or is, is at the track and, you know, has COVID-19 and other people get sick because of it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are, you know, a whole bunch of, of major liabilities um, that um, a business owner would be very, very wise to avoid. Um, you know, now, uh, you know, how, how much, um, you know, or how desperate a track owner is to host a race, you know, how, how much they're willing to play fast and loose with those regulations. Well, you know, it depends, I suppose, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, public, public safety, um, and public safety wins out. That's it. And um, that was, um, you know, that's, I think at this point, still the common sense way to go. And mm-hmm. that was what the, um, the judge found. So, um, so we'll see what happens uh, going forward um, with that. But um, so that's what's going on down here in, in North Carolina. Um, and we talked about, you know, tracks all over the country are dealing with this um, in their own way. Um, and Dave, you talked about um, in New York, uh, some tracks are hosting, uh, uh, hosting races with, uh, with pay-per-view events, um, which is uh, really creative and, and uh, you know, a, a, a very cool technological means of still being able to host races. Um, are there any, is there anything else going on up there? Yeah, most certainly. Um, thank you, Elliot. In New York state, there is big, and this just, um, this probably happened earlier this week. And when, when COVID happened up here in New York state, um, Governor Andrew Cuomo really cracked, uh, you know, shut things down and, and, and was working to shut things down. And when, when he talked about reopening, there was going to be phases. And, and they weren't sure how, how that was going to go with racetracks. Well, it, it was like in and, – and Ryan, um, chime in if you – if I got the time frame wrong. But it was about May, he said, like horse tracks and auto racing tracks and Watkins Glen could open up. Am I right? You are correct. He announced that the first weekend of May that those things are going to start to see the first restriction easement. Thank you. And and so with that, um, a lot of tra- his executive order uh, 202.36, which dealt with COVID, um, about a month after he mentioned that the tracks could open up, he it was announced on June 2nd that auto racing tracks could open with without fans through July 2nd. So that looks like uh, the race here at Watkins Glen will probably be without fans, if not very restricted fans. Um, we'll see what, what comes about that, but that's in August. But I have a list of tracks here that are going now. Yucca uh, Rome actually opens up this coming Sunday, June 14th. Um, they're going to have four classes. All these tracks have no fans, and you can watch races online. 
I would check maybe their Twitter pages, their Facebook pages, um, go to their websites, see what, see what they're doing to show the races. Um, some tracks might not, but some are. Um, Fonda started last weekend. They actually had 70 cars and they had um, six different, yeah, seven different classes out there. Um, including modified sportsmen, street stocks. Woodhull Speedway in New York started last weekend. Again, they probably had about eight classes going. Albany Saratoga is racing tonight. They're actually um, doing a broadcast online. So I, I saw on their Facebook page before we started recording, they showed a quick video. Um, they got about uh, six different classes going tonight. Uh, Canandaigua, New York, now called the Land of Legends Speedway. Uh, they ran last weekend. Pat Ward actually won that. That was a big dirt modified race. Uh, it was a 75 lapper he won. And then Burton and Fulton Speedway up at, up near Syracuse, New York. Uh, Fulton and Burton about a half hour away, owned by the same owner. They're um, a little different. They they know they have the green light to go, but they're decide that they're waiting. And I, I think this is more a result of their car turnouts. Uh, Burton and Fulton last year, uh, Fulton for sure was turning out about over a hundred sportsmen. They were running three sportsmen features because of so many cars. So I, I think they got to assess their car count and, and figure out. So they're, they're waiting. I'm not sure if that's the exact reason why they're doing that. But um, they decide to wait. And they have the green light. They just want to wait. And then Oswego Speedway, uh, great track. The Steel Palace, if you've ever been there or if you've never had Make the journey up to upstate New York. It's right on Lake Ontario. Great racetrack. Beautiful racetrack. Awesome racing up there with the Super Modifieds. Um, uh, they, they have three classes. They canceled all their May events. They canceled all their June events. They're looking to go July 4th in Phase 4. They were supposed to have four races, uh, four classes, the big, blo the big block super modifieds, the small block supers, the 360, or 360 supers, and then the modifieds there. And they scrapped the modifieds. And they said the reason they were scrapping the modifieds was a result that they wanted to be able to space everyone out in that pit lane. Um, Elliot, you and I have been there. We've stood in that pit lane. We know how tight it is when they had the race of champions there and how they had to shuffle cars in and out and, you know, cars parking everywhere. So they, they decided to do that just for safety precautions. They're, they're hoping to have fans there. They're not sure. They're kind of on the on the thing that they want to have fans there, so I think if they can't, then they may hold off on it. But that's what they're planning so far. Nothing solid yet. The only thing that's solid 
is that they're doing super, is that the, the cars, the super modified, I, I believe it's all three classes, can do testing. There's four dates, uh, the weekend, June 19th and 20th of Friday, Saturday, and then the following Friday, Saturday, the 26th and the 27th. They're going to um, do testing. You have to have test slots. You have to sign up for it. They're going to follow um, strict guidelines on that, limiting the crew. Um, they, um, I didn't see if they said you could buy tires or fuel. Um, they, they maybe I, I haven't saw that, but I saw the dates. Um, I know one of the the tracks up here. They were allowing. Uh, teams to buy tires fuel and have one concession stand open so people could eat but again following guidelines social distancing six feet apart you know wearing masks so we'll, we'll see what happens with that and with everything coming out and ryan what about lancaster speedway you want to give us a quick update on that sure the goings on at Lancaster Speedway are just starting to ramp up with uh, re easing of restrictions. Uh, this past week, they had a couple of private events that were rented out by a few of the car clubs in the area that just wanted to, you know, run their cars for the year, test out some new gear. Uh, nothing major or organized, but by end of July, they're ex expecting to start to ramp up events slowly. The first few announced events are the traditional Friday night drag races, followed by the Saturday night oval track runs. And the first several will be without fans, but they're hoping by beginning, if not middle of August, to be able to start bringing slowly fans in and opening up one or two of the concession stands to hopefully bring in a little bit of the revenue. Obviously, they're in the same boat as the tracks in upstate New York, as well as other locations that have these restrictions in place. But they're hoping that as the numbers improve, they'll be able to bring in more and more of the fans and maybe be able to salvage something, if not all of, you know, what the early part of the season lost due to the COVID restrictions. Wow. Well, we'll definitely see what happens out there, especially with them, Ransomville and, and um, Holland Speedway out there. So definitely keep your keep tune out. See what's going on. Watch some of those online races. And hopefully in the next few months, we'll start seeing fans back at racetracks up here. Um, Elliot? Yep. So um, a lot of, you know, um, you know I'm, I'm hearing all this and I'm reminded of a, um, a great quote, the enemy always gets a vote. And the enemy in this case is COVID-19. And so... Um, you know, whatever it does um, in in a number of cases and things, um, you know, will drive a lot of these, uh, you know, policies going forward in terms of whether or not fans are allowed uh, back in, um, be it at, at tracks in upstate New York um, or anywhere else. Um, so in the meantime, um, you know, everybody can, can do their, their level best um, and most are. And, um, and try and do everything right. And speaking of doing something right, we have a sponsor um, on our podcast this evening. Ryan is going to tell you all about them. And then on the other side, we're going to go green. 
the motorsports industry is taking the lead um, in the sporting landscape, not only here in the United States, but around the world. And we're going to tell you what, um, uh, what the evolution of that looks like in the coming weeks, right on the other side of this break. This is from Checkered to Green. From Checkered to Green podcast, we'll be right back. Are you looking to make your business stand out amongst your competitors? Samurai Graphics has the design and the services needed to make your business stand head and shoulders above others in your industry. From simple things like logo design and business cards, things more elaborate, flyers, brochures, banners, anything else you need to generate revenue through advertisement. Samurai Graphics can come up with the content and the designs that you need to succeed. For information, contact Samurai Graphics at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business design solution. And now, back to From Checkered to Green podcast with Elliot Tardiff and David Maudy. Welcome back, race fans, to the From Checkered to Green podcast. And as Elliot mentioned before our break, we're going back to green, and it's our green segment tonight. So in this segment, we've got some updates going on, especially with NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, as Elliot mentioned, around the world. And so um, it includes some controversial things going on, uh, some controversial moves that happened at um, a speedway that got mentioned on the Dale Jr. download. But, Elliot, let's talk about NASCAR branching off before we talk about the Indy 500. Indeed. So, um, so NASCAR is starting to branch out a little bit now. Um, not only in terms of uh, their geography, um, where they're racing here in the coming weeks. Uh, to this point, it was uh, places local, uh, generally within a few hours drive of the greater Charlotte area. Um, but this coming weekend, they're going to Southern Florida. They're going to Homestead, Miami um, for uh, a race down there. The following weekend, Talladega Super Speedway, the big one um, uh, for a race there. The following weekend, uh, June 27th and 28th, is the doubleheader at Pocono Raceway uh, in northeastern Pennsylvania. The following weekend, uh, Indianapolis, the Big Machine Vodka 400 at the Brickyard, um, also in conjunction with the um, uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix, the IndyCar Series, um, and then uh, Kentucky, and then out to Texas in mid-July. Um, so uh, branching out. And then also uh, going forward, uh, NASCAR making some indications of where they, uh, they would like to go and what markets they would like to return to. Chiefly, Nashville, the music city. Um, it's been an interest of the sport for a long time to try and make a return back to Nashville in some there's been a huge interest and a huge groundswell from, especially from the, the uh, driving core to try and get the, the fabled fairground speedway in Nashville uh, back onto the schedule in some form or fashion. Um, and while that is um, taking a great deal of work and a great deal of effort, and a lot of people are burning a, a lot of lean muscle tissue to make that happen. Um, there is another racetrack in Nashville uh, that 
they are going to try and make a return to, and that is Nashville Super Speedway, the concrete 1.5 miler um, that last hosted a race um, in NASCAR, I believe for the Xfinity series uh, as recently as 2011. uh, Yeah, I believe so. I think it was about the most famous incident, um, Cal Bush smashing the Sam Bass guitar. Yes. Um, That 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 did not go over too well. No, it didn't. Uh, he tried, yeah, that, um, uh, he tried to pretend he was Pete Townsend for a minute and it didn't uh, <laughs> go over very well. Yeah. Um, but that's a, a four year deal, um, to race at Nashville super speedway. And there's, um, some folks that are a little bit concerned about the quality of the racing. Um, you know, how, how, um, how good it's going to be, how many, you know, how much uh, excitement and attention that race is going to drum up um, in the, uh, the greater Nashville area um, and whether or not that will lead to uh, the fairground speedway also uh, joining the schedule at some point in the future. So it's, it's definitely a gamble, um, but it's also a move to get NASCAR back into um one of uh, you know the major markets for uh, for NASCAR and for stock car racing in general. Um, also noting that NASCAR now hosts their end of year awards banquet for the Cup Series at Nashville, which they used to do for a long time uh, years ago at uh, uh, Opryland um, before going to um, New York City and then uh, Las Vegas, and now they've brought it uh, back to Nashville again. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, most certainly you said some of the feedback, the four-year um, deal, and I know some NASCAR drivers, um, I know Chase Elliott was a little vocal about it, some of the other drivers going to the concrete track, but if you listen to the Dale Jr. download and and, and you listen to what Dale Jr. said, he was really hoping for the fairgrounds, and he he's not he's not too happy about it. It, it. The tracks outside of Nashville, he said, and you know it's a one point one point three or one point one three mile, I believe they said, um, D shaped track. So there, there there's some you know hesitation to it with it being concrete and. A you know four year deal, but but what Dale Jr. was saying, he was talking about it, and and you know he he was really hoping, and he thinks you know just with everything, with the fair fairgrounds and how much it would go into it, how much they would have, they the, he he can understand the decision, and I, I from the sense I was getting is that he hopes that after the four years they're back at the fairgrounds that that's enough time for them to get ready. So we'll see where it goes. I know Nashville's owned by Dover. Um, this does also open up the chance to go to, um, to maybe get a cup series to gateway some year. Um, so maybe if this fizzles out in four years or shorter, you have a really, um, good track at Gateway that is um, it, it's like Darlington but flat to put it that way mm-hmm. um, which IndyCar makes great racing there so who knows 
maybe the gateway gets on the schedule down down the road, but definitely branching out is really, really good. Indeed. Um, and to that, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but I think there were some rumors that uh, they might also try and bring a street uh, race, a street course uh, to Nashville um, sometime in the coming years as well, possibly the IndyCars. I think I've heard that. I, I, I think you're going to have to see. I mean, that's going to be in charge of Roger Penske. Yep. And who knows where that's going to go. Um, Roger, and, and we're, we're going to save this for an episode at one point. We think this is going to be probably, you and I were thinking in August, we were going to talk about Indy right around the Indy 500. And that was, um, you know, I think you're going to have to see what Roger does. He wants to get fans in there. He wants to make fan experience. Uh, but he's got, he's also got to figure a way, cut down costs, um, get more cars in, draw more, more people to IndyCar. So I, I think it'll be interesting down the road to see if they do it, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that. I'm not going to, I, I'm just not holding my breath. I think Rogers got, um, has some bigger plans and, and that includes with the Indy 500 and speaking about IndyCar, Elliot, let's talk a little about the Indy 500 here. Yes. And, and um, Roger Penske came out with a big statement the other day. Actually, um, earlier this week, around Tuesday, um, Robin Miller posted this on racer.com. Um, if anyone knows who Robin Miller is, we mentioned his name a few times here on the, on the From Checker to Green podcast. And um, he, he's the IndyCar insider, him and Marshall Pruitt. But um, Robin Miller's got a, a personal connection to Roger Penske and AJ Foy and just from working at the Indianapolis um, star, I believe it was um, he, he was working there and, and, and Robin Miller talked about this and what Roger Penske said is that we will run it only with fans. And this is regarding the Indy 500. And I'm going to tell you something. I've got some quotes from the article here. So the Indy 500 is scheduled for August 23rd right now. However, there, it, he's Roger Penske has made a guarantee to fans saying it's either running August 23rd or we're moving it to October. Now they have an IndyCar Grand Prix in October along with the um, IMSA cars a sports car race on the road course. It's called the, um, I believe it's it's the Harvest Grand Prix weekend. They're calling it in October at Indy. And so this is what Roger Penske and I, I've got some quotes from this. And Elliot, tell me your thoughts after this. And Ryan, feel free to chime in as well. Roger says this. Trust me, we're going to run it with fans we're gonna run it for fans in august and planning on it and we feel good 
it's almost three months from now, and I think we'll be okay. But we will run it only with fans. Look, we had a plan to go forward with fans on Brickyard Weekend, but it just didn't make sense. We didn't want to do anything to impair the Indy 500, and we would have to be the the exception, but we decide we decide we couldn't go early. If we had fans and had any problems, that would absolutely close the door for us on Indianapolis. So, and and then he said, no, um, no, you know, somebody asked, well, did you get pressure from the local and federal government? He goes, no, we made the decision. Our team had several meetings leading up to the last week to last week and Mark Miles and I called the governor and mayor and said, based on the current situation now is not the time. It wasn't a forced decision by anyone, just we, what we think was the right decision, all things considered. And this also gives them time in um, February Roger Penske announced that they were updating the video boards, they were paving parking lots, upgrading the restrooms, concession stands, widening Georgetown Road behind the grandstands. Um, and this was all according to Robin Miller. And, and the article ended in this, quote, we're doing everything we can and I hope everyone realizes how far we've come. We've got till the end of August, and that's plenty of time. I think our fans are going to like what they see. So, and Miller ends the article saying, seeing the IMS gates open will be a great start, or be a good start. Elliot, what do you, what do you think about this? Um, I think it's it would be a great thing if it all came together, um, and I hope it does. They've got... Um, you know, obviously they've got August, but then as you pointed out, Dave, they've got um, October as well. Yeah. Um, now I think it would it would take a little bit of work to get the track converted from a road course format to an oval format. Um, oh, they still. they do that in they do that in a um, in like a a couple days. Look at um, when they when they ran Indy in the first practice for the Indy 500 last May. Mm-hmm. They ran that race one weekend and then that the following and then the the following Monday they opened so they can turn that around. Mm-hmm. So I mean if you do the Indy Car Harvest Grand Prix October 3rd, you could have the Indy 500 by Halloween. Well, they've and they have a a, a nice block of time in their but, schedule. Um, but that Sorry, continue. Um, well, yeah, they, the next race after that, uh, the Harvest Grand Prix, is the, the street race in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is the season finale on October 25th. So they've got um, two full weekends to play with um, if, they, if they absolutely have to in order to run the Indy 500, the greatest spectacle in racing, with fans that want to come and see the race. And so... Um, they have some some different uh, avenues to play with, and hopefully for their sake, um, this this pretty bold gambit that they're making um, will work out, and they will be able to have a race 
and be able to have it with fans and everyone be able to have a great time, have a great race um, and be able to do so in a safe way. We can only hope. Uh, most certainly. And, and speaking of other things, I mean, going with IndyCar, it, it did get announced uh, the, the IndyCar race in Toronto is canceled. Yep. So that allowed them to do a doubleheader at Road America. So yep. the, the Indy schedule changed from the last time we talked. Yep. They have, if you like IndyCar racing, for anybody that likes IndyCar racing, clear out your DVR. You're gonna need it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Don't, don't. Uh, if you're gonna record anything, record Iowa. The doubleheader in Iowa, July seventeenth and the eighteenth. You want to see Indy cars on a bull ring? That's a fun race. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. and that that that's amazing. Yep. So, so the schedule is the Grand Prix at Indy, July fourth. The doubleheader at Road America, uh, July 11th and 12th. Doubleheader at Iowa, July 11th and eight, or 17th, 17th and 18th. Yep. Yep. Mid Ohio, August 9th. Indy, yep. August 23rd. Could be moved to October. Um, if if for some reason they don't do the Indy 500 this year, it'll be the first time since World War II they didn't run a race. Yep. But we'll see what happens. It sounds like they're they. It sounds like it'll be October or bust if they can't do um, um, if they can't do August. And then yep. they go to Gateway, another good weight race there. Mm-hmm. Um, Portland in September, a doubleheader at Laguna Seca, nineteenth and twentieth then the Indy Harvest Grand Prix, and then St. Petersburg is back on the schedule for October 25th. But if Indy does get postponed and move to October, um, I think then you're going to have to see how they um, do everything. So it, it could be, you know, it will be great to go back to St. Pete's, but – I would not be surprised that gets pushed into the first weekend of November if Indy gets pushed back. It actually, it, it, and actually, they could run it. They they could worst case scenario they could push it to mid or end of November if they had to. But mm-hmm. we we definitely see. And um, Elliot, um, we also got some Formula One news and. There were a couple of announcements. That, I don't know if you saw the announcement that came out, out today. Did you hear about this? No. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so some breaking news out of Formula One. Um, a couple things. The first thing that, that came out was, um, and this was today, and I heard this this morning, Um F, and this was reported by Chris Medlin on Racer.com. F1 loses three more races as Japan, Singapore, and Baku are canceled. And the article goes on to say that um, the Baku, which is in Ez- yeah, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Singapore 
have been canceled due due to it not being possible to start construction of the street course amid the ongoing uncertainty whether they're going to be used. So essentially, we're not going to put the money down to do this and and then have to take it all back down like they do like they did in Australia and lose a streetcar race. So um, and, and it's kind of similar, you know, what happened with St. Petersburg. Hey, we set up the street course. Uh, now we didn't have a race. We got to take it down. So um, sad to hear that. And then Japan is a little different um, because of their travel restrictions. Formula One said, okay, I'm done. We just can't do it. So with that, they're still confident of hitting the 15 to 18 race season, the article goes on to say. They're already confirmed in Europe um, and at least two planned at the end in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. I have an interesting thing about Bahrain. Go ahead. Uh, um, and I'll, I'll bring that up really in, in a couple moments here, but um, – they also, but they say they need five more confirm, five more races to confirm in September, October, and November, and that okay. Russia, U.S., Mexico, and Brazil, they oh, haven't wow. confirmed or canceled. So stay tuned to that. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll see what happens if those get canceled. Um, we'll, we'll definitely see where that goes. Um, what happens, um, but China, Vietnam was supposed to be the first year for that Grand Prix, and I think they have first year in China too, am I right? No, I think they've been to China uh, a couple of, a couple a couple of times, years before but, that, yeah. But those are postponed in Canada, so there's still serious possibilities with the fall, but they could, but if these tracks don't go, they could go to Hockenheim and Mugello and also hosting European rounds in September if possible. So we'll mm. kind of see what happens. They're planning Abu Dhabi, the last race in December, but here's the thing with Bahrain. Um, you know this track has many different layouts. Um, have you seen this track, Elliot? I have not, actually. So Bahrain has multiple layouts, and this was reported as well. I think this was Chris Medlin who reported as well on Racer.com. But they are considering, and it says here, Formula One could use an oval-style track layout if Two rate if it hosts two races in Bahrain later this year, according to uh, Ross Braun, who's the director of motorsports, the managing director of motorsport for Formula One. Um, they already saw Australia and Silverstone are hosting two races, and Bahrain and Abu Dhabi could offer the same with their alternative track layouts. And what's interesting is Bahrain has so many configurations. And I'm looking at a picture of this right now. And they have uh, 
I mean, they they have a really long track. They have a short track. They they have like an intermediate style track. However, they have an oval there, and they are con they are considering they could run it. And Braun said this that there's a nice sort of almost oval track that would be quite exciting, and all the layouts have great have a grade one license with the FIA. So this is an option in pocket. And when's the last, so I have a little trivia for you guys. Take a guess. When's the last time, um, now Formula One has never had a stand, stand alone race on an over, oval circuit, but there is an oval track that did count towards the Formula One championship back then, especially in the 50s, I think the 60s. Any guesses? What do you guys think? That was Monza in Italy. Ryan? I'm not 100% certain, honestly, but I'm going to have to agree with Elliot because he sounds very certain. <laughs> uh, you guys are wrong. You're way off. Many miles. Uh, many, many miles off. Indy. No kidding. Really? Indy 500. Yes, that was most certain. Um, with that, um, in, Indy used to count that. If you go on racer, uh, the that racing reference, take a look at like some of the Formula One seasons in Indy. Uh, if you look at in the 50s, you see the Indy 500 on there. But that was because they had a lot, of, a lot of European drivers like Graham Hill, Jimmy Clark, Jackie Stewart. Um, those guys were trying for it. That's so, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that that was interesting to oh. to read. So I was like, man, that's awesome. Yep. So um, I'm looking at the Bahrain layout now, and you're right. They've got a whole bunch of different. It looks like they've got like four or five uh, different piece, uh, parts of the track that they can kind of play with, you know, take one in, uh, you know, take one um, and, you know, leave another um, or, you know, something. Um, so there's, there's definitely some, uh, some opportunities there um, for them to, to have some fun with it. And yeah, they have a, um, uh, what looks like a kind of a diamond, uh, you know, an oval with diamond-shaped corners, um, you know, on both ends there. So whether or not that would be, um, you know, sufficiently long, you know, the track would be long enough, that's, that's you know, a good question too. But um, that's certainly pretty telling. That said, it looks like there's one configuration they could potentially run that would be extremely high speed um, that uh, – you know, if they wanted to, to go that route, you know, and, and you know, try and, and uh, you know, run one of the fastest racetracks in the world, I think they would have to have some potential of doing that if they wanted to. Most certainly. And, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, that wasn't the only news going on. And, Elliot, I, I'm going to throw a suggestion out, and I may throw this into our um, closing thoughts as well, but we may um, – need to possibly think of a of doing an episode on the whole Vettel situation. Um, yeah. That 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 that's getting pretty fluid and um 
if you're on the Facebook page, I did make a post about that and possibly Ferrari going into IndyCar. So we, we've got a couple things that we need to talk about. Yes. Um, down the road, but mm-hmm. I'm just going to give it brief because we got to talk about um, IMSA and then uh, a quick rundown on this um, cars controversy before we um, have a break and close out the show with our final thoughts. But um, it's um, Vettel's not coming back to Ferrari. Sebastian Vettel contract done. He's not going to resign. Uh, Carlos Sands is going to replace him. Um, There's shuffling going around. We don't know where Vettel's going. Uh, there, there's talk that every uh, every team is open. Uh, Total Wolf, uh, who's the um, team principal over at uh, Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton and um, Bottas uh, and Valerie um, Bottas, they um, talked about that, but it came out today. They uh, Mercedes told is supposedly you're staying so we don't know what's going on but then there's talk about potentially ferrari thinking about an indycar jump just like what mclaren has done uh yep. with team of sam schmidt so i am just gonna say elliot i think we got a whole episode on that one coming up yeah yeah we've got there's there's a lot going on in in the world of formula one there um that we need to delve into and um, you know, certainly a lot of um, a lot of financial impacts, you know, business um, that we can talk about um, and, you know, how some of those things could very well, um, you know, have huge ramifications um, for American motorsport as well. So we'll see mm-hmm. where, um, where that goes. Um, to yeah. your point though, Dave, um, you know, in the coming months, um, you know, formula one, um, Europe is going to be their playground for now. Uh, they've yeah. got a double header at the Red Bull ring in Austria um, in July. Um, and then the following week after that, they go to Hungary. Um, and then two weeks after that, they go to Silverstone. Um, and then they're back there uh, in Silverstone the following week uh, for the second of a second part of a double header. Then they go to Spain. Then the, uh, the legendary uh, track at Spa in Belgium. Uh, in late August, and then uh, they round out that uh, eight-race stretch with um, with the granddaddy of them all, Monza, Italy, uh, yeah. September fourth to sixth. So, um, well, certainly, yep. So again, July um, in particular is it's this is going to be a great great month for anybody that's a fan and, of open wheel. And and if East and if um, ESPN does what NBC did with Indy. Are with IndyCar, majority of those races are probably going to be on ABC or or ESPN with a broadcast on ABC at a later point. So set your DVR, a lot of good racing action. And also one brief note, and then Elliot, um, I, I, I know we're running close to our break, so just make a, a couple of quick points here. Um, IMSA back at Daytona July 4th. Um, everyone up in New York State, um, we talked about tracks back to action in New York State. Well, they had to, that would have been the, around the weekend that they would have been at Watkins Glen 
for the sale in six hours of the Glen. That is uh, postponed until October. We do not, as far as I know, according to their website, they don't have a date yet. Uh, hopefully we um, stay, you know, keep posted on their website. If, you, if you're one of our listeners and you had tickets to it and this is your first notice of it, um, please look at their website. Their, your ticket is valid for the October race. However, you do have an option that if you don't want to go this year, you can get a credit to the next year's race, and I think maybe 2020 or 2022's race. Um, don't quote me on that, but I know definitely next year for sure with a 20% um, extra credit to that. So your ticket price plus 20%. So um, the Glenn.com is their website, so keep a... Um, Keep an eye out on that, and hopefully our next episode will have an update. And Elliot, um, I, I know we wanted to dive into the cars controversy at um, Ace Speedway a little bit more. Um, let's let's spend a few minutes on it um, before we hit our break. Yep. Uh, so this is um, uh, a local uh, short track um, scene down here, especially in uh, in the Carolinas. And uh, there's um, some pretty big names that are, um, that are involved in it. Um, chiefly, um, Dale Earnhardt Jr., he's a car owner um, for uh, the number 88 car that uh, is a regular in the, uh, the Cars uh, series every year. And they're um, late models. They're late models, thank you. Um, and they, um, uh, they have a driver named, named Josh Berry, a very good driver. Uh, he's... Uh, um, raced for junior motorsports in a number of different um, uh, number of different uh, racing series um, and has, has done pretty well and has done pretty well in the car series as well um, but he's had a, um, a number of on-track run-ins with another driver named Bobby McCarty um, and uh, in in the eyes of Josh Berry and uh, indeed his car owner as well Dale jr um, those run-ins have cost Josh Berry championships in addition to race wins um, in recent years. And so um, at this, uh, this last weekend's race at a speedway, um, uh, which was the, uh, uh, the controversial uh, race event that led to this week's court hearing that we discussed before um, Josh Berry got wrecked by Bobby McCarty uh, while racing for the lead late in the race. And um, this time, Josh Berry decided to put his foot down and say enough was enough. And um, in true Matt Kenzethian style, um, as uh, Bobby McCarty, who was on his way to win this race, um, nobody was catching him. Uh, as McCarty was going to lap him, uh, Josh Berry turned him and uh, put him in the fence and ended Bobby McCarty's hopes of winning the race. Um, so Josh Berry was suspended for the coming weekend uh, in Hickory. Um, but, uh, and Dave, you can go into this in, in more detail as well. Um, but, um, they made a decision, uh, the team did that they weren't even going to run. Uh, they weren't even going to run with, um, with a, a backup driver. He, he was going to get, um, uh, Setzer out there. I, I can't think of his first name, the younger Setzer. Um, 
listening to the Dale Jr. podcast, and I guess what it came down to was um, Dale Jr. had talked with sponsors, and they, they talked with the sponsors, and, and they came to that decision. And, and I think, um, you know, and, and Jr. knew he was, he was going to get suspended. If you listen to the podcast, he talks about it. And he says, you know, he had the inkling he knew he was going to get the suspension. So they were already putting the plan in place. Um, and if you look at, I guess, Speed 51 did a follow-up on it. And it's, you know, and Junior said, you know, you know and they all said, you know, Josh just kept keeps getting run over and run over and you know we know he's not like this and they said it, it just boiled over and they think it, it was just frustration that happened and so um you know he knew it he accepted it they, they they've kind of you know cooled down it kind of sounds like they, they may you know dale jr you know didn't want to offer his opinion on it and not have Bobby McCart- um, Bobby on there, and, and and you know have Josh on there and that. So they kind of did the podcast without any guests to talk about this. And I think eventually they're going to have both on just to kind of air out grievances. But yeah, Bobby came out and said, um, "I deserved it." You know, I I I, I guess I had, I knew I had that coming was essentially his words, and, and he admitted it. He knew eventually he had something coming, the way they, they've been racing together like that. And I guess everyone in the in the pits have, has come up to Josh and said, you know, we support you. You know, it's not right that that's happening. So I, I think in this series, and you get with a lot of local series, you get these rivalries, but in the end, they're all sharing a beer together, a, a drink together. You know, they support each other, and and they know when something's not right, they're gonna hold each other accountable for it. So, it you know, it stinks because Dale Jr. say you know essentially there goes the championship, but he also he also was talking about putting this Setzer guy in there who's a real firecracker and. And I, I think now you see, you may now see why the they came to the decision to suspend, because that's the last thing you need is to put somebody in there who's a firecracker, and he goes and wrecks Bobby, and that's it, you know, and and it hurts Junior's reputation. So, you know what, racing happens, things happen in, in racing, and. You know, that's my thoughts on it. Yep, indeed. So, um, you know, as Matt Kenseth said himself, some days you're the ball, some days you're the bat. And, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Josh Berry was the ball for a long time, and he decided to be the bat. And he, he took a, a pretty big swing and um, definitely um, – uh, Was was it a home run? It was a foul ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's cooled down for now, but um, it doesn't sound like it's completely resolved yet. Um, it sounds like um, you know from that very same podcast, uh, Josh Berry um, kind of intimated that 
there, there may be some other pain um, heading Bobby McCarty's way for uh, other run-ins that they've had in recent years. So I, um, I, I don't think juniors go allow. Um, I, I, I think the sponsorship's too great a r- risk. He, he's built this guy up. You know, he's had Josh Berry there for a few years now, running these cars. And I, I don't know. I just, you're running these late models in this series. So I just don't, I, I, I you know, Dale Jr.'s pretty smart. And if he, I'll put it this way. Um, if he lets him do that and he doesn't do that well, um, his sister Kelly's going to get involved. So I, I think, I think what's going to be, they're going to air out their grievances on that podcast and that'll be it. Well, we would like to talk more about uh, racing, but it's time for a break. So Ryan, take us away. The From Checker to Green podcast. We'll be right back. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to bring up on the show? perhaps uh, insight into a race that you'd like us to present to the rest of the listeners, send us an email to ckrd2grn at gmail.com or send us a message directly on our Facebook page from Checkered to Green Podcast, and we'll try to work that into our next show. And now back to from Checkered to Green Podcast with David Maudie and Elliot Tardiff. Thank you, Ryan. The checkered flag is nearly upon us for this episode. Um, it's right around the corner, so we have our final thoughts to offer uh, before we close this episode out. So with that, I will turn it over to my partner and colleague, David Motti. Thank you, Elliot. And, and we all know this week, especially with today recording this podcast on June 12th, the, the events that have occurred over the last few weeks in, in our country. And, and, and a decision that NASCAR made just this week about removing the Confederate flag. It's, you know, in the final thought here, my final thought is it's a great decision. We are starting to hear feedback. Um, I was listening to WGR this past week and Howard and Jeremy, the morning show, and Sal Capaccio, who was filling in for Howard Simon, said this. He goes, I was seeing all these um, fans, you know, I'm seeing people coming on the story saying, ah, we're leaving, you know, you're banging the Confederate flag. But there were, but for every fan that was saying that, there was at least one or more fans saying, Hey, NASCAR, you gained a new fan. So I, I really think it's a good move. I thank Bubba Wallace for advocating this. I, you know, he's won a race a few years ago. So with him doing that, I think, it, I think NASCAR is starting to change. Um, they know they need fans back. And I think by making this decision, it's a good start. It, it, it's a start to get get back where they were we'll we'll have to see what the business implications of it are but you know without getting too political too emotional and, and keeping it concise it 
Thank you, Jim France. Thank you, NASCAR, for making that decision. I support you 100%, and I am hoping that we can – I'm hoping that you do get more fans because of this. You guys need it. Well done. Elliot? Thank you, Dave. And um, my final thoughts are um, entirely in agreement with everything that you just said. Um, these past couple of weeks um, have been very trying times for this country. Um, it's brought about, um, you know, some, some very real reckonings um, about justice, equality, and fairness in this country. Um, and it's brought about some real reckonings um, within the motorsports community as well. And no more so, um, you know, no more so visible a move um, than the one that NASCAR has made in recent days to ban the Confederate flag from flying at any NASCAR tracks going forward. First and foremost, this is the right thing to do. The Confederate flag has been um, an open part of NASCAR's history um, and openly embraced um, by uh, NASCAR and racetracks themselves um, well into the modern era of NASCAR. In fact, if you look on racingreference.info, um, you'll see uh, some references to, um, to Dixie or to Rebel, uh, the Rebel 500, um, uh, throughout uh, the 60s and into the 70s. And even uh, in, um, I believe it was Darlington's case, the first part of the 80s as well. Um, so it wasn't that long ago that we went from um, naming races um, after the Confederacy to now parting ways with the Confederate flag and leaving it where it should be in history. Um, and there's been a great deal of, of work done, um, in particular by Bubba Wallace, Dave, as you pointed out, um, who's um, advocated pretty tirelessly um, uh, for this um, and other changes. Um, and NASCAR, to their credit, has listened. Um, they don't always listen sometimes. They don't always make the right move. They made the right move in this case. And um, David, as you pointed out, there's a lot of people with a lot of, of opinions about it. Some, some coming in, some leaving. Um, where does all of it lead? We'll see going forward. But for now, um, you know, we have to ask the question, what is the right thing to do? And in this case, what NASCAR did was the right thing to do. And that's all we can ask. And as you pointed out, that is what we can applaud them for. It's, um, it's good to see when somebody does the right thing, even though it may not necessarily be popular. Um, and I hope that NASCAR is rewarded for it going forward. Most certainly. Ryan, your thoughts? Well, I feel that from a purely business standpoint, NASCAR also made the right decision. Remember, because if that one sticking point is causing this much headache and this much division, not only among your own ranks, but among your fan base as well, it would be a poor business decision to keep that around. So in that, that's about as smart a decision as they could made, and they have my respect for it. Well said. So mm -hmm. with that with that said, Elliot, the checkered flag has fallen. 
We're going to be getting into um, the green with more racing. We're slowly but surely getting back to normal. We want to thank Samurai Graphics as our sponsor of this podcast. Please help support them. Um, Samurai Graphics, AJ Saylor, you know, great friend of ours, you know, and, and, you know, we, we appreciate him for um, letting us, um, you know, you know, we appreciate him for, you know, allowing to let or allowing his business to help be part of our podcast. And, you know, it's, you know, help support local businesses still. They, they still need your help. That, that's all I can say. So thank you, AJ. And guys, it was a great show. And yes, sir. before I say my farewell, Elliot, what's coming up? Uh, well, what's coming around the bend is um, a whole lot of news um, that will come out of the, the coming week's races. Um, and we'll discuss all of them. We'll discuss all the new storylines that have developed um, on and off the racetrack. I'm sure there will be many, um, and I'm sure there will be um, many business implications um, to discuss as well. Um, so there will be that. Um, we talked about uh, kind of diving into some more of uh, uh, some of these stories coming out of Formula One, uh, and potentially IndyCar as well. Um, and then also, hopefully one day we will um, uh, be able to uh, uh, have some interviews with um, some people within the motorsports um, industry and uh, have some discussions about um, uh, their uh, views on the, the business side of motorsports, um, the good, bad, and the ugly. And um, uh, to that end, uh, if anyone has any suggestions, uh, for people that we should talk to, please hit us up, uh, our email, Facebook page, let us know. Um, and, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please tell friend, friends of yours about our podcast. Uh, we're just three lifelong racing fans that love to, to talk shop and, uh, love to talk business. So, um, thank you very much. Yep. And thank you guys. And just really quick, the Facebook page from checker to green podcast it's a facebook group and then you can also reach us at c k r d the number two g r or g r n at gmail.com that's our email great show gentlemen it's great it was great having a talk out with racing with you guys and thank you our listeners we'll Um, catch you on the flip side with the From Checkered to Green podcast. Bye, y'all. Catch you on the next round. Thanks for listening to the Checkered to Green podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group, Checkered to Green podcast. Tune in next time for more insight into the racing business with the Checkered to Green podcast. (laughs) 